Welcome. This is Pastor Michael Petit from Calvary Chapel, Divine, Texas. We want to thank you for taking time to listen to our Sun, Salt, and Light broadcast. We want you to know and grow in the Son, S-O-N, Jesus Christ, and be the salt and the light. We'd like to thank you so much for taking time to listen to this broadcast. We simply teach the Bible verse by verse and chapter by chapter, and we believe that God changes a life one verse at a time. I'd like to personally invite you out to come and see the church. Uh, it is a very casual atmosphere, and uh, but we do take the Word of God very seriously. We meet in a non-traditional church building. We actually meet at the BFW 3966 in Divine, Texas. It's located at 211 West College Avenue, big white building right next to the post office. Our service times are on Sunday when we go through the New Testament uh, at 10 a.m. And then on Wednesday nights at 6.30 p.m. we go through the Old Testament. Uh, We have children's ministry available for both services. And if you need to get more information on the church, you can go to calvarydivine.org. Today's special guest, Matthew Petit, will be in the book of Mark, chapter 10, verses 32 through 52. The title of this sermon is, For Even Jesus Was a Servant of All. Here's part one of a three-part study with Matthew Petit. I quickly want to share, I, I want to respect y'all's time and, and kind of get going, but uh, man, the what this church has done, um, you know, sometimes we get so caught up in, in numbers and in the size of things and just like we, we tend to put our eyes into different ministries and look at, oh, look at this church and, and look how, you know, many people are here every Sunday and, and, and sometimes we, we get so caught up in that, but, you know, something that we saw this past weekend and you know at this retreat again it's you look at the fruit what what's being produced out of it you know because you can have churches they have the building they have all the the glitz and the glamour but you know you look in the gospels and you know the pharisees during that time and we'll we'll touch on that a little more in this study but jesus called them straight up because they're over here in their robes they're you know looking nice they when their prayers were being prayed it's oh thank god i'm not like this person i'm i'm so righteous in in my life and i'm glad i'm not doing bad like them and in just everything that they did there was always just this sense of just self-righteousness but what jesus saw through that immediately and he calls them straight out your whitewashed tombs you have the appearance of something that's nice but when you look inside there's something dead there's no, there's nothing alive in that, and something that I loved about this church is no matter the size, no matter the numbers, it's just the work of the Lord that's being done, because at the end of the day, that's the one who's doing the heavy lifting. We're just, we're just called to go, and it's been such a blessing to be a part of that, whether it's uh, at the Cactus Fest or, you know, getting to do stuff in the high schools or events that we've done. It's, it's been a blessing, and I, I want to share, uh, share this quote with y'all. It's from A.W. Tozer. And um, I saw it last night, the, the homie Ryan and, and Raw, they're over in Peru uh, at a Calvary Chapel pastor's conference. And, and they had this quote just posted up, and it's from A.W. Tozer, and it says this, God never uses anyone greatly until he tests them deeply. And I love that because it falls in line to today's portion of Scripture. Y'all been in the book of Mark for quite some time, and y'all have gone through chapter 10, but it's always good to have a little refresher. And... And during this uh, period of the gospel, uh, we see there's a moment of crisis that happens with Jesus and the disciples. And, and in those moments of, of crisis or weaknesses, it, it reveals truly who you are. It's that testing. And it's, it's revealing the, the purity of the fruit that's being produced. 
And, and in these moments is, is only when we can truly become refined and, and sanctified by the Lord. And those are just fancy words for God removing junk from our lives and, and giving us his things, right? The old has gone and the new has come. That's that process of my old life is dead and it's, it's being put to death continually. And, and these fruits, right, that we're uh, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, right, that's being produced in our life, the work, the gifts that are operating, it's being added on. And and that's something we're going to see today. It's it's And it, it goes along with, you know, 2 Corinthians 12, verses 9 through 10, as, as Paul spoke of, you know, that, that process in his life. And he said this in, in verse 9 of 2 Corinthians 12, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient, and my power is made perfect in weakness therefore I will boast of all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me for the sake of Christ then I am content with weaknesses insults hardships persecutions and calamities for when I am weak then I am strong and 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 an idea that comes to mind of of that scripture is is like a goldsmith you know if you ever go to Y'all have a hardware store out here, the, the tractor supply, you know, you go to Home Depot, Walmart, sometimes you'll see a tool or you see glass, it has that word tempered on it. And what that means is it's been tested and proven, but there's this whole process that, that comes along for that tool to reach that point. You think about a hammer or, or sword, you know, first that metal is found in the wild, wherever it's found. And, you know, I think of the gold rush, those those shows where they're over here hanging off the side of a cliff and they're they're pulling like these oars from the river. And those oars are are impure. They have, you know, dirt and, and a bunch of impurities on that. But what does the goldsmith see in this when he has these metals is something more that can be made out of it. And so what does he do? He puts it in a refinement process where he literally burns it and liquefies it where all the impurities and dirt will come to the surface and he'll scrape it away. And what does he do it again? He refines it once more because guess what? There's still some impurities on it. And he does this process repeatedly over and over again until he looks down into that pan and he sees his reflection clear as day. And that's an example of us in Christ. Because then that, that is molded and shaped into a sword. And you think about this. You have to test it, right, in order for it to be tempered, to, to test and prove it. And this is our faith. And, and sometimes in, in that process of it getting going, man, it may chip off that sword. It may break completely. The handle or something, something goes wrong. Does the goldsmith trip out about it? No. He just puts it back in the refinement process and shapes it again. Or sometimes that, that sword gets dull. Sometimes it's been used so much it's, it's worn down. But what happens, the process starts again. And, and this is so faithful for God to do it in our lives. And definitely is a process, but man, it's for a purpose. And, and that's what we're going to uh, learn today in our study. So uh, for the sake of time, we're going to pray and get into this. So let's just take a moment to pray before the Lord. Um, we just thank you again, God, for just this day and allowing us to be here and just making it to this moment, Lord, of uh, and just whatever the week has thrown at us. I know some of us may be tired and weary, some some allergies are, are freezing, but uh, we just thank you for your faithfulness, God, just to, to bring us here and, and for the purpose of bringing us here is to hear your word. And I pray just for those online and then even just here in, in the seats today, whatever 
um, it says in, in James, you have not because you ask not. And, and whatever we're struggling with, Lord, I pray that we would come boldly to your throne of grace and that we would just lay it at your feet, Lord, and just allow ourselves just to uh, surrender sometimes the things that we hold on to in life so tightly and that the things that we have to let go in order for you to work in. So I pray for uh, just your mercy and your grace. I pray for myself that you continue just to allow me to step aside and just preach your word boldly, Lord, because it's not my words, it's yours. And I um, thank you for this, just this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you're taking notes, uh, the title is for this study is for even Jesus was a servant of all. For even Jesus was a servant of all. And we'll, we'll look at it just in two, in two parts. Uh, by his words, verses uh, 35 through 45. And the second, uh, through his actions, verses 46 through 52. A, w- a couple weeks ago, um, I had, originally I was asked to, f- to teach for Pastor Joe as... Um, he had to step away for, for that week. His, his uh, mother went to be home with the Lord, and uh, I, I filled in for him. He had asked, and, and, and usually, you know, again, here at Calvary Chapel, we're, we're verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and we stick and chug along in that. And there's certain moments where instances like that, you know, occur, or you know what, something comes up, like teaching at another spot. So we get an opportunity to either continue or, you know, to choose a topic. And uh, I, I asked him, I was like, hey, is there anything that's, that's on your mind that you've been wanting to teach? And, um, and I love how it f- kind of just fits in, again, to, to this theme of even when my pops had asked me to teach as well. It was, it was the same exact thing. You know, it's funny how the Lord works. You know, same spirit, one voice. Um, and, and he hit me with this, this statement, a passion for Jesus and his word. A passion for Jesus and his word. And, and, and again, it lined up again. It, it's crazy to sit and see it right now. But um, with, with my pops asking me to teach on, on just serving the Lord. And, and usually, you know, I, you get in the motions of just, okay, I got to teach. Let me, let me find a scripture that, you know, has the word passion or, or service. You know, you, you, you go to Google. Let me Google some verses or whatever. You just go through the mix of things instead of actually taking a moment to reflect. And that's something the Lord showed me is like, hey, think about that. Where do you find your passion for Jesus and his word? How does someone understand this themselves? Where, where do I, you know, have this drive and in, in to pursue after Jesus? And, and I love Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, because it encourages us that we can look to the founder and the perfecter of our faith, Jesus, and, and it tells us, you know, that's the perfect example, right, of someone, you know, living out this faith walk, you know, this term that we hear a lot in church, which is basically just your relationship with Jesus, right, pursuing it every day in your daily life. And, you know, it, it encourages us. The example has already been set. It's been laid out to Jesus of what we need to do. And the only, uh, you know, record accurate record in, in that fact of, of Jesus' childhood is, is found in Luke chapter uh, 2, verse 49. And I, and I share this because I love this, this story so much because during this time, there's a festival happening in, in the city. And, and so Jesus and his parents go, you know, to, to attend this festival and, and during this time. But 
as you read in this chapter, you know, Mary and Joseph actually lose Jesus in the mix of things. And it's kind of thing, it's, it's crazy because they understand like who Jesus is, right? He's, he's the savior. Like Mary knew like, hey, this whole crazy thing's gonna go down, but yet they lost Jesus in the mix of things. You know how it is being a parent. And it's one thing to, to lose your child, but it tells us in the scripture that he was lost for three days during this time. And man, you can just imagine that just going down. I've, I've been lost before, but it wasn't because my parents lost me. It's because I was in Walmart playing in the clothing rack. And then after I get done playing, I turn around and look around and where are they at? And then immediately that fear sinks in. You start crying and I'm, I'm over here searching. I end up in the electronics. I'm like, I can't find my parents. And then you hear on the intercom, can the, the parents of Matthew Petit come to electronics? They're looking for you. And boom, my, my parents showed up and I was, I was good. See, that was me being lost myself, but they ended up losing him. But it tells us in this, in this portion of scripture that he was, he was at the age of 12, right? This is the only portion of his childhood, his teenage years, even all of this that is recorded. And they find him, right? And you can imagine, this is three days. They're like, they can't find this guy. And you can imagine they're looking at, you know, I, maybe when we were visiting so-and-so, he got pulled into the crowd and he ended up over there. Let's, let's go check again. You know, and I remember we were over here grabbing some things and, you know, and celebrating and maybe he got mixed up here and they're going all over the city searching for him. But it tells us in this chapter that they find him at the age of 12 inside the temple. And he's, he's in the temple listening and, and asking questions to the priest of those times. And it says in, in that scripture, when, when the, pr- the priest heard the questions that he was asking and the wisdom that they had, they were amazed at this, at this young man. And, and they finally get there. Picture this. They look inside the temple and they see Jesus standing right there, their son. And immediately they're like, where were you? What were you doing? You've been gone for like three days. We've been searching throughout the city for you. What, why, where, what happened? Why are you here? And what does he tell them? He tells them this in Luke chapter uh, 2, verse 49. Did you not know that I had to be about my father's business? You know, Jesus understood this truth. Again, the Savior of the world, right, the Messiah, Jesus, understood this truth. Apart from the Word of God, the Bible, we have no, assur- uh, uh, we have no assurance or complete understanding of the will of God. And this is why, you know, 30 plus years before even starting his public ministry, going to, you know, what we read in the Gospels, he grew in wisdom and understanding, it says. You know, there is an importance for him to understand the will of God for, for his life, right? This mission that he was sent up, uh, to do. And, and the will of God, you know, is an expression of God's love for us. And, and it comes from his own heart. So, Think about it like this. In the Bible, it uses examples of relationships because it's the easiest way we can, you know, understand it. And, and you think about this in any relationship, right, whether, you know, it's with a significant other or, or just in life. If you want to get to know a person, you have to spend time with them, you know, and especially with that significant other, you have to create intimacy with them. And it's not intimacy in, in terms of it's actually getting to know their heart. 
is getting to know their nature, the things that they like, the things that they dislike, you know, and, and you think about it, you have those inside jokes. You just, you just have so much time invested with them. You have to put your time, your talent, and your treasure into that in order to understand who they are. And, and this is why the Lord uses that example. And, and there's such an importance for Jesus to do that himself with his own father. And I want to read uh, starting in verse 32 because it gives us some context uh, for this chapter. And it reads this way. Now when they were on the road, Mark chapter 10, verse 32, uh, on the road going up to Jerusalem, Jesus was going before them and they were amazed. As they followed him, they, they were afraid. Then Jesus took the twelve aside and began to tell them of the things that would happen to him. Behold, we're going to Jerusalem, and the son, of, uh, the son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests, to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. And they will mock him, they will scourge him, and spit upon him and kill him. And on the third day he will rise again. I love this portion, especially in terms of the, the whole context of the story, because it shows us Jesus had a clear understanding of the will of God for his life, this mission that was set before him. In, in verse 32, you know, they're coming off, uh, you know, a really dope just time of, of ministry, and, and they're just continuing to make their way um, throughout city to cities. And, of course, there was always a crowd that accompanied Jesus and, and his disciples. And it tells us during this time there was something different. You know, there was just a different, you know, you know just what the word I'm thinking um, this atmosphere, in a sense, of following Jesus, right? The, the vibe was different because it tells us there, there were amazed and they were, they were set in fear. And, and why is that? It's because they're going to Jerusalem. Whenever Jesus would, you know, look towards Jerusalem, it says in uh, Isaiah 50, it actually was a prophecy and it was fulfilled uh, in Luke chapter 9, uh, verse 51, it explains whenever, you know, the Son of Man, right, the Messiah Isaiah talks about, would, would look towards the city, his face would be set like stone. And that's exactly what we see in Luke chapter 9, verse 51. It, it tells us that flat out. When, when Jesus would look towards the city, look towards Jerusalem, his face was set like flint, right, stone. He was locked in on, on a mission, and I love how, you know, the best way to think about being locked in is when you're hitting up a store on Sunday. And the best example is like hitting up H-E-B. Man, it's, it's a madhouse. I work at H-E-B. I'm a curbside shopper, so I'm, I'm shopping with y'all on Sunday. And I see the faces of the people. They're just like, man, I'm trying to get in. I'm trying to get out. It's football and then especially Thanksgiving. Shoot, it's about to go, it's about to go down at the store. But, you know, you think about it, you... And I see it so much sometimes it's like you forget that one thing that you needed. Oh, shoot. I need the seasoning. Oh, and, and I need to grab this and this for the sides, and I got to make a trip to the store. But it's Sunday, and, and you're just locked in. Like, I'm trying to get in. I'm trying to get out. And sometimes you, you, leave, you, you leave those sunglasses on because you don't want, you don't, you're just locked in. I'm not trying to start a conversation. I just want to get in and get out. I don't want the, the cooking connection sampling guy. I don't want none of that. I just need to get into my check stand, check out, and leave. It's that type of mentality. You're just locked in, and this is how Jesus was during this time. 
It was just, he was just focused. And there, it left this amazement on the people's faces. And, and again, they were afraid. They were in fear because they knew what lied ahead in Jerusalem. He, he even tells them in verses 33 and 34, he predicts his death and resurrection for the third time in Mark. That he's going to be betrayed by his own disciple. That all his, and he knows all these people rolling with him, aside from, from John, are all leaving him. He knows that those religious leaders that are after him, he would be delivered into their hands and that they would wrongfully convict them of criminal's death sentence on a cross. They know that he would be betrayed by the crowd that's following him. That they're, you know, in the next chapter he comes in, you know, riding on the donkey and they're laying their garments, the banana leaves, you know, at his feet. And they're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, glory to the God, right in the highest sense, right? And, and I'm paraphrasing that there, but, you know, they're, they're ushering in their king. But in the next coming days, that crowd would turn on him, calling for those nails to be pierced into his hands. You know, it says that he would be mocked and spit upon. Even before getting onto the cross, he would be beaten by the Roman guards with the cat of nine tails, right? Where it would have the nails, the glass, the thorns, so that when it would hit you, not only would you get whipped, but it would pull chunks of skin along with it. And so, not only, and then being stripped naked, humiliated, hanging on this cross, bearing this cross, that he would have to carry himself to Calvary with his back like shredded meat hanging there in front of his own, his own mother, his disciple, and all those people who said, we finally got you and be killed and take on the sins of the world, being forsaken by the Father as, as he's on that cross, and knowing that for those three days, the, the complete hopelessness that's left. You know, I love something that, you know, we were talking about this weekend is, you, you can't just preach the cross without the resurrection. And, you know, and the beauty of this is, is that the reason why Jesus is knowing that I have to be fully committed to this is because I know, I know the end. I know what the beauty that will come out of it, death being defeated, and, and just the hope that is, is lasting and that is complete, right? This relationship, the veil being torn, now there's direct access to God. I know what's going to go down, and I can't wait for that, but I know what has to be done to that point. And this is why his face is set like stone. He's fully committed to accomplishing his mission. You know, you can almost say, you know, going down, the disciples, again, they're expecting something, right? They're expecting this kingdom and him to become a king and, and all these things. And they know, man, it's going to go down in Jerusalem. He's the most wanted guy we're rolling with. We're rolling hot, hot on our tail. We know that it's going to go down there. It's Jerusalem or bust. We're either overthrowing the Romans or we're going down trying. That's, that's their mentality. This can be described as one of those moments of crisis and uncertainties for the disciples. And we know it reveals things when we get tested, when we get stressed. It would not only reveal Jesus' passion and understanding for the will of God and his word, but it would reveal the hearts of those closest to him. And that's where we get with our first point in by his word. Starting in verse 35, as it says this, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do uh, for us whatever we ask of you. 
So sometime after, you know, talking about his, his resurrection, his death, you know, and, and just chugging along towards Jerusalem, there became like this point, I guess, when, again, Jesus is walking ahead of him, and, and I guess the crowd's not there bothering as much, and maybe the disciples are talking about whatever, of what's about to go down, or all these things. But it says here that James and John saw an opportunity to approach Jesus for a question. And they boldly ask him this question, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And, and basically, they're, they're asking a question, but in, in, a, in reality, they're, they're kind of telling Jesus and demanding Jesus to blindly agree to their request, which they think he doesn't know about to blindly agree to their request without knowing the terms or the conditions of it. They just want a blind, you know, they want that blank check signature from Jesus. How bold for them to do that. I mean, Jesus is 100% God, 100% man with, with all, he's, he's all knowing, he's, he's present everywhere, and he's all powerful. How bold do you got to be to attempt to, you know, in a sense, try to pull one over on Jesus? But there's a reason why Mark, in Mark chapter 3, verse 17, Jesus gave them the names the sons of thunder, right? James and John, of Zebedee, the sons of thunder. There's a reason why they got that name, and it's because when they, you know, got kicked out from the Samaritan village, right, they rejected, you know, the work of Jesus and all these things. They, they kind of dipped out, and they're like, Jesus, you know, these people, it's, it's the Samaritans, come on. Like, we don't like these guys anyway. You know what? And they're sitting here rejecting us and all these things. Just call fire down from heaven and just like dust them. Get them out. Consume them. They, they wanted to call fire down from heaven and consume them. Just, just nuke them, Jesus. Forget about them. These are the people who are boldly like rolling with Jesus. And again, Jesus here, he's, he's obviously locked on to his mission of the cross. And and. In his response, he's not short with them, or he's not just trying to quiet them down and shut them up. You know, instead, he kind of hears them out, allowing for their hearts to be revealed in, in their, their speech. As he says this, and he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? In verse 37, and they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right and the other at your left in your glory. This is their demand. Grant us to sit one at your, your right hand and the left hand of your throne. You know, in the royal court, those are the highest positions to be at. You know, the, the right and the left, those are the, the seats of honor. You know, that's, that's the highest position that, that you can get aside from being the king or the queen. And, you know, in the previous chapter, you know, James and John... And, and Peter, they saw a glimpse of the true glory of Jesus, right? It's the Mount of Transfiguration, right? And it's, it's kind of these, think about it, it's the disciples. There's, there's 12 of them rolling at this time. And, and obviously, these three get taken aside. And so in, naturally, we get puffed up. And, and, and at times, there creates this division because, right, there's this inner circle. And they're kind of probably thinking, we're the inner circle of Jesus. It's like, yeah, all those guys, they got to see the boat miracle. They got to see the feeding of, but I got to see Jesus in his true glory. And, and later on, this is what sparked that debate, right? We see the division enter. 
the disciples' hearts, of them kind of debating to themselves as they're walking on the road, right? Jesus, again, is, is walking ahead of them, but you kind of notice, like, things are quiet down, right? There's not as much cracking up of the jokes or, or hey, Jesus, da-da-da-da, did you see this? Or what do you think about this? And, hey, where are we going now? Or it all quiet down. And all the disciples, he noticed, are, are kind of bickering amongst themselves. And they're kind of debating to themselves, who's the greatest among us? And ironically, it's recorded after Jesus' second time predicting his death and resurrection. And we'll get into that a little more later. I would like to thank you for taking time to listen to our broadcast. This is uh, Pastor Michael Petit from Calvary Chapel, Divine, Texas. If you're someone like me who is, uh, listens to a lot of podcasts, you can also listen to us on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, Audible, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Pretty much wherever you can find a podcast, just type in Calvary Chapel uh, Divine and you'll, you'll be able to track us down. And lastly, I just wanted to invite you out to church. Uh, we are a casual church that meets in a non-traditional building, uh, meaning that we meet at the VFW 3966 on West College Avenue, big white building right next to the the post office. Uh, If you want to get more information about our church, if you need to ask uh, some questions or you even need prayer, just go to calvarydivine.org. And uh, we want to thank you again just for listening to this broadcast of Calvary Chapel Divine Texas, Sun, Salt, and Light Radio. God bless you. Have a good one.